mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers, and welcome to another episode of the Silicon Theory Podcast. I am your host and moderator, Sean, and with me is Sean P., the proud new owner of a Galaxy S8 Plus. Say hello, Sean P. (laughs) Good evening, everyone. We are going to talk a little bit about all of the rumors surrounding the devices coming out at the next couple from two months all the way through the end of the year. And so this will be the May's Rumor Roundup. We've got a couple of different phones on the docket. Uh, One, two, three, four, it sounds like. But we're going to start first with what sounds like a little bit of disappointing news out of Motorola, and that's the Moto Z2 Play, perhaps the worst-named phone in the history of phones. What uh, what have we heard recently about the Z2 Play, Sean? So last year, the Moto Z Play was kind of an unexpected success story. Um, it was the lower-end Moto Z. People didn't pay a ton of attention to it, but it turns out when you combine a Snapdragon SD625 14 nanometer A53 chip with a 3510 mAh battery and a 5.5 inch 1080p AMOLED screen, you get insane battery life, like easy two day for real legit long battery life. Um, So it kind of became this darling in the Android scene of, hey, if you want a phone that lasts an obscenely long time, has relatively stock Android, is quick and affordable, this is the way you go. So of course Motorola is going to ruin all of that. And the rumors have come out that the Moto Z2 Play um, will have a 3,000 milliamp hour battery, a slightly upgraded Snapdragon S626, um, and it's going to be thinner because we need thinner phones. So quick question. Um, They sold uh, probably a goodly number of the Z Play. Uh, It is the battery life champion of the world. I've seen many people reporting anywhere between seven and nine hours of screen on time over two days, and I've seen a few concerns that that was a little too low, and I've seen some people who have come up and said, I'm getting 10 hours of screen on time. That's that's relatively common enough to have been seen in multiple forums, and Motorola went and made the successor to this phone worse? Yeah, they said, hey, you know, what's a good idea? We'll cut the battery capacity 15% and basically make it exactly the same as a Moto G5 Plus. I, I don't I don't get it at Not the all. same because it's probably going to cost more than the G5 Plus. That's probably true. Looking at the leaks, the, the leak CAD drawings, everything I've seen so far, I can't think of one compelling reason why I would buy this over the original Moto Z Play. Um, when you're saying that about a phone that's coming out a year later, probably the company is not doing it right. And I think that that's kind of been Motorola's watch, watchword, calling card. I'm not sure what the right euphemism is there. But it's been pretty well known that Motorola has done a couple of good things and then in successive generations completely borked them up. See the Moto X. Um, the original Moto X was a terrific little phone. And then they made it bigger. And then they made it even bigger. And then nobody wanted to buy it anymore. Um Anything else we want to say on the Z2 Play before we just shake our heads in disappointment and move on? No, I mean, I guess the trick here would be wait for it to come out, wait for the price of the Moto Z Play to drop and then pick one up. It's, I think it would be probably the best backup phone anyone could ever ask for, or hell, even as a primary phone, if you're a person that is looking for battery life above all else, 
It's the people's champion, I believe you said. I agree. And I think that, uh, you know, honestly, if you were looking at that being battery life, that is being your sole differentiator, this is probably the best phone that you can buy under $400, bar none. So let's move on from Motorola and talk a little bit about the leaks that we've seen around the what was formerly codenamed HTC Ocean and is now allegedly going to be released as the HTC U11. And uh, I think I jokingly said in the show notes that the title for this piece is called Excuse Me? Please explain. I thought we agreed you weren't going to use the Excuse Me joke. Uh, we agreed to no such Bake, thing in baking fact. Baking powder? What year is this? Uh, 1954. <laughs> no one's going to get the Wayne's World reference. Probably. Um, okay, so the HTC U11 uh, is going to be announced next week, I believe, on the 15th or 16th. Sounds um, right. They're having their big event. Um, we saw a leak last year, at the end of the year, we talked about where a designer at HTC leaked a video of a phone that had a uh, side bezel that was touch sensitive, so you could scroll with it and do some other things. And we've talked a couple of times about that could be a feature that might be pretty neat. Um, the HTC U11 will indeed have that feature. So what we're looking at from a spec standpoint, you have the Snapdragon 835, um, you have a 5.5 inch screen. 2K, but we don't know. It looks like it's going to be um, Super LCD 5, not AMOLED. Uh, it's a 16, point, 16 to 9 ratio, so same as uh, kind of the Pixel and phones. You know, it's not this longer form factor that the LG G6 and, and the uh, S8 and S8 Plus have brought. It's kind of the more um, traditional. OG traditional yeah, layout. Um, as far as cameras, it's a 12 megapixel camera, probably a Sony IMX378, so it's kind of the... It might be the same sensor as last year, but this is that larger pixel that's in more light, very similar to what the Pixel's using. Um, and we have a 3,000 milliamp hour battery keeping the lights on, a USB Type-C, 4 gig of RAM with 64 gig of memory, it looks like, and then there may be a 6 gig, 128 gig, 128 gig variant uh, overseas, maybe, maybe in the United States. SD card support. Um, front-facing home button that's touch-sensitive, same as last year, uh, with capacitive buttons on either side of that. Um, so, from a lot of standpoints, this is very similar to, well, it, it reminds me of the OnePlus 3, actually, from a form factor standpoint. 5.5 inches, it has the, the home screen, uh, or the home button in the front, um, similar dimensions, actually. Uh, but we've seen the renders that have leaked. It came out this week based off of a CAD drawing. Uh, the screen's flat, but the edges taper down. It has that 2.5D glass that we've seen on a number of phones, which is kind of a nice design touch. Um, the back, it's unclear to me if it's that, you know, the glass that looks like metal, a la the HTC U Ultra, or if it's actually metal. I don't know if we know yet. Um, it's going to have boom sound again, so it has the, uh, it uses the earpiece speaker and then a bottom uh, speaker to do a, a stereo effect. So. Um, by all accounts, you know, on the HTC 10, it worked pretty well. So uh, it's a step up from just the bottom firing speaker that a lot of OEMs have moved to using, which includes LG and Samsung. Um, so, okay, good good and bad here. Um, the design looks nice. Uh, I think if you put it up to the LG G6 and the Samsung twins this year, you're going to run into the same problem a lot of people do, which is it looks a little more traditional, we'll say, in design, meaning... Giant um, bezels. It, it has large top and bottom bezels, large relative. Um, HTC's always been kind of known for having bezels that are probably a little too big. And 
and even they're even well known for their phones that they just make that don't have HTC branding on them as, at all, which also have large bezels, yeah. namely the Pixel, which yeah. I love, mind you. Don't get me wrong. I love my Pixel, but I have seen more than one person on many, many, many threads call it the bezel and bezel XL instead of its rightful name. That's all true, but I actually don't hate the design based off of what I've seen so far. I actually, it looks nice. Um, so the two and a half D glass in the front is kind of a nice effect, and uh, the back, HTC knows how to make even the HTC U Ultra. I mean, it looks neat. Like if you look at the blue one, it's it's striking. Um, it's a fingerprint magnet, but For it's, sure. it's neat looking. It, no other phone looks quite like that. Um, HTC still has that kind of design flair where they can make some really unique looking stuff. Um, but in looking at this, you know, I think the utility of this side bezel, touch-sensitive bezel, is kind of, that's its defining feature. So we need to see how that works and what it does. Do people want this? Is this something people are going to care about? We've talked about this before. I think in a vacuum, no. I don't think people are clamoring for a bezel where you can do that. But in practice, the ability to be able to swipe down on a bezel and you know, uh, pull down a notification shade, or pull up your app drawer, or if you're in a browser, being able to scroll down the page by just touching the side so that you don't actually have to interact with the screen really, could be kind of neat. These phones are getting bigger and bigger. This would be a way that you could one hand this thing and, and still use it. It's an interesting solution. Um, I do definitely think, depending on how it pans out, there could be some use cases for it. Um, you know, again, raising lowering volume in a music app could be one of those things, again, where you don't necessarily want to take your phone out and use, uh, you know, whatever biometric you use, fingerprint or unlock code or whatever to unlock the screen. Um, you know, using a physical button is generally the traditional way of doing that. But, um, you know, again, the implementation is going to be key. Uh, HTC does do some really interesting things from a design standpoint. They've just made some really puzzling choices from an end user standpoint, like their HTC U Ultra completely ripping off the stop or the stop the top uh, second screen display from LG's V20 and V10 series, and you're kind of like, why would you do that? Um, it's a super tall phone to begin with, and I don't know if anybody really wants to use that anyway. So, uh, removing headphone jacks is another kind of puzzling, head scratching thing where you go, okay, great, we're going to give you this uh, USB-C powered headphone thing that completely replaces all of the headphones you currently have. So. I don't, you know, they've made some really interesting concepts, reality in terms of design, and they've also made some puzzling business transactions in terms of design as well. Yeah, we didn't touch on this. They are removing the headphone jack from this phone. Uh, it's coming with an adapter, though, unlike the HTC Ultra in the box, so that's something. Hashtag dongle life. Um, yeah, HTC makes some puzzling decisions. I think even the branding's confusing. So we had the HTC One M7 and M8 and M9, and then last year they went to just HTC 10. This year they have the HTC U11 because the U is their new branding, but the first phone this year was the HTC U Ultra. Luckily for them, nobody's heard of that phone, so this it won't cause any confusion. But, I mean, you know, on paper, it's like you would think the HTC U Ultra would be the top-end flagship, not the HTC U11. It sounds you know, in comparison to be the more mundane of the phones. Ultra should be better than the number 11, right? Yeah. Again, though, luckily for them, no one's heard of that phone except for a few select people reading tech reviews, I suppose. And that probably leads me to my next question about this phone is, have we heard anything about whether or not HTC is going to do the same thing they did with you, Ultra, which is solely release it through their website with zero carrier presence whatsoever? 
I'm not sure that was their choice. My guess is all the carriers simply passed on the U Ultra. Fair enough. Uh, last year with the HTC 10, as you'll famously recall, uh, <clears throat> I think AT&T passed on it completely, and T-Mobile discontinued selling it After relatively quickly. Three days? Yeah, it, it was a very short period of time. So HTC struggled to some extent to get in on the carriers, which in the United States because of the way our market structure is really a necessity. It's a lifeline, um, for sure. Selling unlocked phones, you're just it's not going to get the job done. So I, I don't know. Um, we haven't really heard much as far as what carriers it's going to be on. I would expect we'll probably see it on Verizon at least. Sprint probably will take anything they can get for a number of reasons. And T-Mobile, I would imagine, might support it. AT&T may be a wild card since they didn't, you know, they passed last year. But um, we won't know yet. We'll probably know next week. And uh, we're all waiting with bated breath, I'm sure. My only uh, hope is that if Verizon does carry it, it actually turn it into the HTC U11 Droid Edition. It's, I just see a tough road ahead for them. Even if they're all carrying it, if you walk into a store, based on what we've seen, it's going to be hard to stand out unless it costs less or this side-sensitive bezel really is something that people haven't seen before and decide they like. And I'm just, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I'm not putting my money on HTC for this either. We mentioned earlier, or you'd mentioned earlier actually, that this phone in form factor looks like a phone from OnePlus. So let's use that as our segue to talk about the new phone from OnePlus, which apparently is going to be coming out in June. Is that what I heard? It's summer. I would expect June. That's been historically when the OnePlus release window is. And And it's going to be the OnePlus... Four, right? Because they had the 3 and the 3T, which is the iterative version of their latest device. So it would make perfect and complete sense that their newest phone will be the HT, or excuse me, the OnePlus 4. That's correct, right? Yeah, so you couldn't be more wrong. Oh, Um, no. What happened? As it turns out. What happened there? uh, OnePlus is a Chinese company, and in China, the character for 4 is eerily similar to the character for death, or so I hear. So it's considered bad luck. So I guess what OnePlus did is we had the OnePlus 3, and I guess the OnePlus 3T will be considered the fourth phone, and we're jumping all the way up to the OnePlus 5. That makes absolute and perfect nonsense yeah. sense. Although we do have precedent because Samsung did that with the Note line to align the Note versions with the Galaxy S versions, completely skipping the Note 6. Very good. And the Note 7, as it turns out, because that phone we would all like to pretend doesn't exist as well, right? So they skipped um, two. What, which, which joke did we want to use? Did we want to call yeah. it the bomb, or did we want to say that sales were like fire? Which joke were we going to use? I can't wait till they start selling that thing again. Um, hey So OnePlus last year kind of unexpectedly jumped from being kind of this company that was really annoying. Uh, you had to get this invite. You couldn't buy the phone. Their phones had historically had some issues, quality control problems, to the OnePlus 3 and the OnePlus 3T were kind of media darlings. Um, they got rid of the stupid invite system. You could just buy the phone. Prices remained very affordable. The specs were very competitive. And, you know, over the years, they've switched away from uh, Cyanogen mod, which they were using on the OnePlus, to their own Oxygen ROMs. And I just read an XDA article on the Oxygen ROM saying it is now a class-leading re- ROM from the standpoint of performance and whatnot. So um, the OnePlus 3 and OnePlus 3T, as I said, kind of last year were in many ways, for a lot of people, the phone of the year and, and kind of went from this obscure company to uh, a very, you know, kind of mainstream brand amongst Android enthusiasts, at least. And um, so people are excited for the OnePlus 5. To me, I think the OnePlus phones now kind of become the defective Nexus phone. And what I mean by that is 
it's a low-priced stock Android phone where you're getting 95% of the specs and in some ways better performance than the flagships for 50% of the money. So I see the appeal. Um, I also say they've kind of become the de facto nexus because of, you know, an XDA, the guys who create ROMs, it is probably the most popular phone right now, the OnePlus 3 and the OnePlus 3T. So, uh, you know, this is really taking a place in the Android world that's fairly important. So what are we getting with the OnePlus 5? I don't know. The specs are all over the place. Um, the one thing that's been relatively consistent is a 5.5-inch screen again. The rumors for the last six months have always been that it was going to be a 1440p screen. Uh, lately, I've seen 1080p mentioned again, so I don't think we know. I think it's safe to say it's going to be AMOLED. We just don't know what the resolution is going to be. Uh, it's going to have dual cameras by all accounts. That's the other thing that's been very, very consistent. We don't know what the implementation is going to be. It's going to be more like the uh, LG implementation where they're going to give you a wide screen and a, you know, a wide angle, I should say, and a, a normal angle one, or it's going to be more like Apple where they're going to use kind of the telescopic um, lens or whatever Apple's using. So we don't know what that's going to be, but it looks like it's going to be a dual camera. Snapdragon 835, we've seen 6 and 8 gig of RAM being thrown around. Um, it's going to have, we think, a front-facing button again, like last year, uh, that's both a fingerprint scanner and a kind of capacitive home button. Uh, but recently, again, there's been some chatter that it might have a back fingerprint scanner. So we really don't know on that either. Um, battery capacity, we've seen 3,000 milliamp hours at first, which many people were disappointed with. The OnePlus 3T has a 3,400 milliamp hour battery, so that would be obviously less capacity. Uh, we've seen 3,600 milliamp hours being thrown around recently, and then today another rumor popped out saying 4,000 milliamp hour you know, battery. Um, I don't know what to believe there. I don't think they go under 3,400 milliamp hours, so 3,600 might be my guess based off of what we've seen so far. We just don't know. Um, but, you know, from everything we're seeing with this phone, it looks exciting. Rumored pricing, I think we've seen 449 so that's higher than it has been in the past. But if it comes to pass that it has kind of all the specs we're talking about for $449, that would still represent the best Android deal on the market. It would be a steal, in fact, at that price. And I gave some, some serious consideration to picking up one of the OnePlus 3Ts, especially in the Midnight Black Edition, because it came with 128 gigs of onboard storage and 6 gigs of RAM. It's about as future-proof of a phone as you could get, again, with what amounts to relatively stock Android and uh, a very promising development community. You could probably keep that phone for quite some time. It's very affordably priced. It's very well-specced out in terms of what most people want, which is performance and battery life. Uh, I was one of the ones who was a little bit disappointed when I heard the initial rumors that it was going to be a 2K display and it was going to have a 3000 milliamp hour battery. Even with the improvements of the reduced process on the Snapdragon 835, I don't think you're really looking at increased resolution and decreased battery life as a, or decreased battery capacity as a recipe for terrific battery life. Um, but if the latest rumors are true, and I saw those same things, um, you know, 4,000 milliamp battery and a 2K screen or even a 1080p screen would make it uh, a very compelling um, device from both a performance and a battery life standpoint, most likely. Again, I guess the real thing is the only thing that we really know for sure is that we don't know anything for sure. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. I mean, I would say the OnePlus 3T is the fastest phone that I used last year, save in the neck, for Pixel, excuse me, maybe. I mean, they're, and they're probably like neck and neck. They're both, uh, from a performance standpoint, faster than anything else I use. So if you took the OnePlus 3T, especially the Midnight Black, and you 
fixed the camera so it had better low light performance and you add a 2K screen, I'm not really sure what else you could ask for. I think at that point, it becomes competitive to the point of, it becomes very difficult to reconcile paying a lot more for any other phone. Um, the OnePlus 3T already kind of does that to some extent. I mean, hell, the OnePlus 3 does. So they're very close. And, and even the camera, like I've seen some comparisons with the Galaxy S8 since it came out in the Pixel camera, and it, or, uh, with the OnePlus camera. And it does better than you think. Like in everything but really like lower light situations, the OnePlus 3 camera can stand toe to toe with the big boys already. Maybe not quite as good, but again, damn close. So if they get a dual camera with better low light performance and a, and a higher quality screen, you know, and, you know, especially if they have that kind of midnight black just as a, a normal thing that you can buy from the get, boy, um, there's a lot to like there. Yeah, and I think at that point you've really got to look at the um, LG and Samsung devices as maybe really the display being the differentiator. I mean, not that that necessarily would justify you know a $750 price tag versus a $450 price tag. Because again, as you've already touched on, when you get 95% of the spec for 50% of the price, it really becomes a very difficult challenge to justify spending more money unless you absolutely want the best of everything, in which case you've probably got the cash to throw at it anyway. But yeah, the... Uh, uh, my hope is that the Pixel 2 comes out and is really compelling in terms of all of the other spec because uh, I've seen the same benchmarks. The uh, the OnePlus 3T and the Pixel are probably tied. Uh, it's very close just in terms of raw benchmark, in terms of processing speed. It's, uh, it's actually really remarkable considering what OnePlus has done with the resources that they have uh, competing against a company like Google for, for that kind of device. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... It's even more than just benchmarking in specs that when you use the OnePlus 3, it feels like it's on meth or something. I mean, everything is so fast. It's It feels sped up somehow. Like, I don't really know how to, to phrase this. When I had it next to my Note 5, I mean, it was noticeably faster at everything as far as the OS is concerned. It, it flies, never bogged down, fast all the time. The only other phones that I've used that are like that, the highest-end iPhones and the Pixel. Um, other Android phones usually have a little bit of jank or something, and you could probably say like the HTC 10 and the LG G5 are quickish, but they have you know still have skins on them, and it's like the OnePlus is just fast. So um, I'm really looking forward to this. Luckily, I have a friend that buys the newest OnePlus every year and ships it to me to set up. So we'll get a OnePlus 5 as soon as it comes out. He's buying it again this year, um, and I'll probably have a chance to actually have it next to the OnePlus 3 at the exact same point in time to kind of check it out. So. I'm really looking forward to it. As he said, OnePlus went from one of those companies. Uh, he's had a OnePlus 2, OnePlus 3, and he'll have the 5 now, and I'll, I'll kind of set up all of them. And, you know, they went from kind of a curiosity, interesting phone with OnePlus 2 to now, uh, legitimately, if you ask me the, you know, top three phones that I was kind of waiting for this year that I wanted to see, it was probably the Galaxy series, the next Pixel, and the OnePlus. Um, in many ways, more so than LG and HTC. And I never thought, boy, I'd be saying that. For sure. So uh, big shout out to Jesse for uh, hooking us up with that. <laughs> and you heard it here first. We will have uh, an upcoming review of the HT. Why do I keep wanting to call OnePlus HTC? I'm doing I the same thing. I do that. I, it's, we haven't been drinking everyone, I swear. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that. Well, but, maybe Sean has. Uh, but yeah, so we are definitely looking forward to the OnePlus 5 as it comes available, hopefully around the June time frame. So that takes us to the elephant in every room, which happens to be Apple. So more unusual news coming out of 
a variety of different channels, Business Insider, Forbes, and the infamous Apple leaker, uh, Ming Chu Kuo, I believe is the guy's name. Um, and a lot of it is news that doesn't sound like it's really fantastic for Apple. What do we got here? This has been the most confusing. We've talked about Apple, I don't know, a half dozen times in the last six months. And every time we do, it's changed considerably from the time before. And Drastically, I- in fact. This is the weirdest iPhone year ever that I can ever remember. And I've been following phones since the iPhone came out. It, it's just a bizarre year. So here's, here's what we think we have right now. We believe that due to component issues, namely with the underscreen touch ID and maybe this 3D camera that they're using for facial recognition, that the iPhone 8 slash iPhone edition super OLED iPhone um, that we thought was scheduled to come out at relatively the same time as the 7S and the 7S Plus may be delayed now into next year, uh, or at least late this year. It's unclear. I've seen both in print. Um, the word is basically Apple's had problems. Uh, Samsung couldn't get the under-screen fingerprint scanner to work for the Galaxy S8. Uh, they, the performance was unacceptable, so they didn't release it. Um, and it sounds like Apple's having the same problem. Uh, this piece of technology apparently is fickle, and in testing, it's just not working or they're not getting the yields they need of the hardware. It's unclear which. So given that, um, we just don't know what Apple's doing. Uh, it's just all over the board right now. So I think we know this for sure. They will announce a 7S and 7S Plus that is this very similar, if not the same design as what they're using for the 7 during the normal Apple time frame, meaning we should get an announcement in early September with a late September release. That much at least seems to be relatively certain. Whether they're going to show the OLED Super iPhone at the same time, whether that's going to slip to later in the year, whether it's going to slip to early next year, at this point I think is anyone's guess. I agree. Uh, as far as design is, we have seen some schematics start to leak out, so kind of here's what we have. Um, Ming Kuo, however you pronounce his name, he, yes. he Release some details. 5.8 inches. It's going to have this kind of bottom section that's this function area. Um, since then, uh, Benjamin Geskin uh, is a guy on uh, Twitter who claims to have a bunch of sources kind of at Foxconn that have been feeding him uh, schematics. And what we have is a phone that has a 4 millimeter uniform bezel all the way around. So instead of doing what Samsung did and LG did where it has kind of a small top and bottom bezel and kind of no side bezel, Apple's gone for this uniform bezel all the way around. Um, it has front-facing you know, cameras that it's unclear if they would be under the screen somehow, not sure how that would work, or whether there's going to be a little cutout for that on top. Um, and then we've seen versions that have a fingerprint scanner on the back, you know, that's very similar to the Pixel, uh, and also versions without where presumably the fingerprint scanner would be baked into the front. Now, the two leakers that are kind of the most relevant and have the best track record by far of anyone are EV leaks and on leaks. And they've kind of thrown some shade on Benjamin Geskin saying a lot of his stuff is unvetted, total rumor. Um, it's just him doing stuff in Photoshop. You know, it, it, it's not something where the validity is necessarily confirmed. So I don't know if we really know what we're dealing with yet. I think there's a lot of unknowns. I, you know, I think it's pretty clear that we're going to get a relatively bezel-less iPhone at some point in the not-so-distant future. Um, but 
lots of unknowns this year, and that's atypical. By this time in the last three or four Apple cycles, we had seen a leaked ver- we had seen a leaked version of the phone that was going to come out. This is unusual. I agree, and I think that the funny thing about it is that it could definitely be that they want to make sure that it's right and ready before they release it, and that's been Apple's story all along. They're going to take some technologies that have been developed maybe by somebody else. They're going to polish them and perfect them, and then they're going to release them in the wild. So, I mean, Steve Jobs was notoriously a perfectionist when it came to his devices in all forms, and I think that this is very uh, common and very usual. What I think is very unusual for Apple is that they haven't had the ability to have the kind of success that they're hoping for because they have an enormous amount of resources to bring to bear on these things. And again, Samsung tried and failed relatively miserably in terms of the Galaxy S8 and S8 Plus to get an under glass Mm -hmm. fingerprint scanner and then ended up having to put what amounts to a jelly bean on the back of their phones in terms of a fingerprint scanner. And, And that is more atypical of Samsung, which is, hey, we're going to throw a bunch of crap at the wall, see what sticks, and then whatever we like, we're just going to punch it into a phone and move it out. Now, they make great displays and they make great hardware, so a lot of people don't care, probably including you, but the the experience is different for Apple, and for them to be struggling in this way is definitely very unusual. For the amount of all-over-the-place leaks to be out there already is very unusual. And I think that there are so many unknowns, and Tim Cook said this himself, he feels like these rumors might be hurting their existing business. Now, if I read the last report correctly, uh, they shorted analyst predictions by only, and you can't see this, dear listeners, but I'm making air quotes in the air, only making $52.9 billion in profit um, instead of the $53.1 billion that was predicted. So again, Apple sitting on giant mountains of cash and they don't really care. But the fact that they have all this money and engineering talent to throw at this thing and it's still probably not right yet is a little concerning. Um, you know, but if you want the 7S and 7S Plus, they'll probably come out just in time and be fine. Yeah, there's a couple things going on here. So one, yeah, from a sales standpoint, they're still making gobs of money, but iPhone sales have plateaued. They're flat. And, you know, investors, that's the last thing on planet Earth they want to see. And I think this falls a little into the, hey, Apple has stopped innovating uh, thing that's out there. So you're seeing some of that. When when he's talking about the sales to being penalized, well, that's what happens when you release the same phone design three years in a row. Uh, we've talked about this before. Companies don't do that. And the reason they don't do that is consumers get bored. They want something flashy. If, if their friends can't tell that it's a new design, what's the point of owning it, right? So you kind of have this high-end, you know, Apple's prided themselves on being this high-end kind of Gucci luxury brand. And it's like, they released the same phone three years in a row and may do it for a fourth year. That's like suicide in the tech world. Um, especially with the strides that other people are making as far as their design is concerned. Uh, I think the same design looks old now. Um, and yeah, to your point too, this is atypical for Apple. Apple is a, someone that takes existing technologies that are mature um, and they put them together in a, a perfect package, if you will. Uh, this phone is more of them taking very cutting edge technologies and trying to cram a whole lot of them into a new device. That's something we haven't really seen Apple do in a long time. I, I can't even recall the last time they tried to do this. And it's not a huge shocker that even with all of their resources, they were running into some problems. That's a big deal. Uh, they, they're trying a lot of different things with this phone. So, you know, I'm sure they'll still release some great stuff this year. I just, I don't know. And if they release the iPhone 7S and 7S Plus only at that event, 
and people still think this other phone's coming, I, I have to imagine it's going to hurt their sales even more. Why? I mean, what, what, if it has a slightly better camera and a slightly better processor, but it looks exactly the same for the fourth year in a row, maybe they'll throw a new color at it. I just, I can't see people caring that much. I think, I, you know, man, I don't know. The only thing I can see that would be really compelling is if there was a price drop uh, or a price adjustment. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. Then again, I, I think we're at a point where, you know, if I'm going to spend that much money anyways, why not get the great one? You know what I mean? Even if it costs me another three or four months in terms of time, like, why would I care? I, I can't imagine that the people who are... Um, what did, what is what was the new Wikipedia thing uh, or the new dictionary thing? Sheeple. Yeah. Like I think that was the the big uh, new pop culture word that came out about Apple fans uh, recently. Like I can't imagine why the sheeple would would get in line for the same phone if they know a better one is coming. Especially if we get a late September release and the iPhone 8X edition special OLED version uh, comes out like in January. Like it, why would why would I spend $799 now when I could spend $999 in four months. And let's be real too. When we're talking about better and now I'll use air quotes, <laughs> the, the people don't care that it's better. It looks cool. That's it. I mean, even if it was had less power, less Ram, which it won't, but let's say it did, people would still buy that one. The new design, the bezel-less design that's kind of floating around, it's striking. Um, considering that Apple, especially with the iPhones now, is kind of a laggard in the uh, bezel department. They have large bezels. Their screen bezel ratios are amongst the worst of any phones that are still left. Uh, it makes it that much more striking when you see this almost bezel-less iPhone. So it's going to be a boutique fashion thing. I mean, you know, the first people that have that, you're going to notice it. Um, and, and that's what people, I think, are looking for in a lot of ways. So the, the better things aren't largely irrelevant to me. It's, it's, it's going to be rare and more fashionable, and I think that's enough. And it could very well be, although we've talked about this before as well. I think the longer that Apple waits, especially if they release the 7S and the 7S Plus, the more people that go into stores and see the Galaxy S8 and the Galaxy S8 Plus and presumably the Note 8 when it comes out, and they look at the 7S and the 7S Plus and they compare those two phones side by side, people are going to start, maybe not necessarily to defect straight away, but they're going to want to. And it's going to happen eventually because you've got the Galaxy S8 came out when? April, late April. Okay. So say the iPhone 8 X edition comes out in January. That's what, eight months worth of uh, design head start that Samsung will have? Correct. And, you know, again, if we're talking about the coolness factor, okay, great. Like, there are some people who, I mean, I guess like the dollars and cents thing kind of just doesn't really make a lot of sense because the S8 is still $750. So, you know, but, but it's going to be, you know, somebody's going to walk into a store and they're going to see these two phones side by side and they're going to go, wow, what's this phone? Oh, the Galaxy S8. That's the one I want because of the infinity display. Look, again, so at that point in time, you're going to also have the Pixel 2 and Pixel 2 XL. You're going to have the mm -hmm. Galaxy Note 8. True. You're true. going to have the HTC flagship's going to be out. And honestly, like, the HTC flagship's not super flashy, but comparatively to the Apple, the iPhone current design, I think it might look better. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and that's kind of, we're talking about that as far as a laggard um, in the design standpoint. The LG G6 is going to be considerably less expensive at that point. We're going to have another LG flagship by that point, probably the uh, V30. So you're going to have all these phones out there, and it's 
it is going to be awfully tough to walk into a store and be like, hey, I still want that one, even though it looks kind of archaic and still amongst the most expensive. And again, like the other issues, the cameras have all gotten pretty good. Performance has gotten pretty good. You're getting more base memory on the Android phones. Most of them have SD card slot support. And historically, this hasn't mattered because the iPhones were ahead and people didn't really care. But we're getting to a point where it's just like, Again, if they release the same design four years in a row, 32 gigs of base storage and it costs that much money, no SD card slot support, um, no LED screens, all these other things, man, I don't know. We've already talked about it. When you walk into a store and you look at the Galaxy S8 and S8 Plus, you say, wow, that looks like a phone from the future. If you walk in and see the 7S and the 7S Plus, you're seeing a phone that was released in 2014. When you put it that way, I mean, it's that's pretty stark. I mean, my dad's like an uh, iPhone guy, like he he's an Apple guy, and even he, like we were discussing this when he was in town, and he was saying, "No, nah, there's no way they're going to release the same design again." I said, "It's happening." I mean, we could be wrong; all the leaks could be wrong, but it looks like it's happening. And he's like, "Well, I wouldn't upgrade then." He has an iPhone six. This would be four years old at that point, and he's willing to upgrade, but the 7 wasn't enough for him. He was waiting for this big 10th anniversary iPhone, right? Yep. But, you know, when I'm telling him, hey, it may cost 850 950 bucks as a starting point, it may be coming out later, and they're also going to release the, the more normal phone that's what you're used to, he's not into it. He's like, I'll wait. I'll wait another year. And it's like, man, that must make Apple cringe. No doubt. I think if... Uh if we get to this keynote announcement and Apple's one big thing is this Amazon Echo Google Home competitor with Siri in it, then Apple's starting to look like they may have some problems. Uh, the subtitle for this section that I didn't use but I'm going to put in here was the new iPhone edition device, phone of the year for 2018. Because that's what it looks like it's probably going to come out in. But again, that's... Man, if I'm them, I don't know what I would do. If it's not ready till the beginning of 2018, this is the downside to having a one release a year cycle. Okay, so say it's delayed five months and you're talking about January. Do you release that phone in January? Do you wait until all your phones have that cooler design and you just do a big release maybe earlier in the year in August, September? What do you do if you're them? I, if it gets delayed too far and you miss the fourth quarter, what do you do if you're Apple? Do you sit on the same design for a fourth year and release this super phone the next year? When, by the way, everyone else is going to have another generation phone at that point. I mean, I, I just don't know what they do. They're in a weird place. It's like, if they don't get this phone out by November, I, I think you have to punt. Yeah, or, because, yeah I agree. And, and even if you do get it out in November, it has to be in quantities that matter. If it's some super limited release that you can't get, you still have a bunch of people now that aren't going to buy your existing phone because they're going to be waiting for that one. That seems like suicide too. Well, especially if it's not even available in mass quantities, but the price point of it is such that it would eliminate a sub you know, $900 buyer. Like that's... It, that's you know, again, that's the de facto limited edition part of the price anyway. So I don't I don't know what the real answer is, but I agree. If they release this phone in January, knowing that the Galaxy S9 is probably coming three months or four months after that, like you're... I think Mace, if I remember this right, people, correct me if I'm wrong, but Mace said it right, more money, more problems. Yeah, again, Apple will do fine. I'm not worried of them, you know, being in any trouble. They have $250 billion in cash. But I will say they're in a weird place this year, based on what we know so far. 
Um, and maybe this will all turn out to be bullshit, and they'll just release the 7S, the 7S Plus, and this special edition like normal in September, and they'll sell 80 gazillion of them, and we'll all be sitting here going, eh, as usual, we were suckered by the rumor mill, but I don't know. They better hope so, because of that uh, $52.9 billion in revenue, uh, over $33 billion of it was from iPhones, so... Uh, I think that takes us to the end of the rumor roundup. Anything we missed, Sean? Anything you want to cover before we drop out? And real quick, in the Moto section, we kind of glossed over this. The Moto Z2 Force, which is the actual flagship for Motorola, uh, we have seen some schematics leak out on that as well. It's coming. Uh, it's also 5.5 inches, 1440p AMOLED. It still has the Moto mods. Uh, they just changed the home button to be more like the Moto G5, so it's a little more circular in nature. Uh, Motorola is kind of in a weird place because they have Moto mods, which I give them credit for supporting, but it makes it so that all their phones have to basically retain form factors at a time when phone form factors are changing. Radically. So it, it makes them kind of, you know, in order to not upset their consumers, they have to keep this form factor and stick with the Moto mods, but that's going to be, I think, tough this year. Uh, the good news is, though, they seem to have learned a couple lessons. The, the schematic that leaked out, they are adding the headphone jack back into the phone, which is one of the first OEMs we've seen to do that. I think a step in the right direction. Unbelievable. And it will no longer be a Motorola exclusive. Uh, it sounds like the Droid editions may be dead, and this will also be released at least on T-Mobile, if not other mm. carriers. So, you know, this is an interesting thing for people. Um, it has that unbreakable shatterproof screen that's a plastic substrate instead of glass. Um, and it has Moto mods, which are kind of neat. And some of the Moto mods that are coming out, there's like an e-ink back one. And I saw a uh, uh, one that had a physical keyboard that you could attach. Looked pretty nice. Mm. So I saw that too, actually. Motorola, I give them credit. They're sticking with their system, which I think is a good system as far as the Moto mods go. Uh, but as far as mainstream customers, I'm not sure how much buy-in they're getting from that. And the downside is you have to retain a form factor that's very much more traditional and that means has a lot more bezel uh, and a bigger form factor. And I'm not sure if the trade-off's worth it, but we'll see. That's that's coming down the pipe, too. And I'm, I'm looking forward to at least seeing what they're going to do. Uh, subtitle here, May the Moto Z2 Force be with you. And uh, the other subtitle is, Why make two or three really good phones that people actually buy when you could make an entire Moto alphabet of cheap phones that all do their own little things and not sell any of them? We've talked about this time and time again. I don't know why companies have so many versions of phones. Samsung's at least gotten a little bit better about it, but uh, there's just a lot of phones out there. Um, Far more than are necessary. Fair enough. Uh, so I think that wraps up the May Rumor Roundup edition. If uh, you like to read, you can find all of our musing and thoughts at silicontheory.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at silicontheory. We've posted up uh, some pretty interesting pictures lately on the Instagram feed. You should go check that out. And uh, if you have something that you'd like to have us discuss or if you have some tips or uh, just want some more clarification on something, you can write to us at silicontheory at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a good evening, and we'll talk tech soon. Good night, everyone.